It's 10 a.m. in Seattle, and it is currently 7 p.m. here in Vilnius, Lithuania. We have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lineup of speakers for you today. From Boulder, we have Amanda Sage joining us, Regen regenerative artist extraordinaire, amazing, amazing visual artist, and as she sometimes says, she's an artivist. And we also have Aaron Huey. Uh, the best description for what he does came from his lips a couple of minutes ago in the same room. He described himself as a positive propagandist. He's also a photographer, journalist for National Geographic, and he is the head creator of, um, of Amplifier something that we will be talking about a little bit later, but it is an exceptional example of how artists can affect practical, pragmatic, and tangible change in this reality of ours. Also joining us from San Francisco is Amanda Joy Ravenhill. And ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Re Co Radio, and the theme for today is Regenesance and Co-Amplify. This conversation will be about how artists can bring about sharing visions, how they can incept new, newly imagined positive visions of realities. And we'll be talking about how to incept them in the minds of others. So with no further ado, I would like to open the floor. And as always, I would like to get a beautiful intro hello from our co-host, Amanda Joy Ravenhill, Executive Director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute. <laughs> always a pleasure to join you all on the airwaves <clears throat> every Wednesday morning here, West Coast time. We at the Buckminster Fuller Institute have the honor of hosting, really co-hosting, the Regenesance at Art Basel. It was an event, but really a marker in time of this era that we're in. History doesn't always exactly repeat, but I'm pretty sure it rhymes. And the Renaissance was born of coming out of and emerging from the bubonic plague and the darkness of that and uh, hastening in the speed of technology and art and coming back to natural sciences. And here we are emerging from this pandemic and pointing to and seeing the role of artists and again, coming back to those natural sciences. And so we're blending regenerative intelligence, this ecological literacy, this you know, ancient wisdom traditions of being in tune with nature's genius of learning from 3.8 billion years of research and development that nature has done in order to take the technology that we've built and as Fuller said, we'll build all the right tools for all the wrong reasons first. So it's just the task at hand is to translate what so much of our technology has been designed for, weaponry, and translate it into livingry. And the role of the artist in that cannot be understated to help us envision and amplify those stories. And so it's just such an honor to have both Aaron and Amanda here to, to jam on that today and really looking forward to all of you opening up your, your worlds into their work and, and helping amplify their amplification. <laughs> all right. Isn't it a good one? 
History does not necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. It has a certain funky, repetitive procession. Ain't that curious? So maybe let's begin with that interesting example. Let me ask the two of you. Whoever wants to go first, just go lunge at the mic and, and let us know what you think. But let me ask you about, about those historic rhymes that inspire you. What are you, what are you taking from the past or from previous heroes of yours that are informing what you're doing today? And how are you jamming with that? How are you using those rhymes from the past to create a future, a new future that will last? Mm. <laughs> That's a big one to start with. Aaron, do you have, <laughs> you have something? You, you start the rhyming. I'll, I'll jump in after you. <laughs> rhyming? Wow, well, I, I, you know, the first thing that came to mind was the Peace Train, which is a song, you know, that was um, predicting a time beyond this time. Out on the edge of darkness, there rides the Peace Train. And um, talking of a movement, you know, that was started long ago and I think has been rippling through time. And... Um, through movements and continents and as as necessity arises people rise and um and really think about what is important what makes them tick what makes life really truly beautiful you know and art is one of those things that is is at that forefront you know we're all artists in some way and when we find the the things that really make us light up inside we become so much more alive and i don't know about you but i really like being around people that are alive <laughs> and i feel like alive people have a a a real um gift you know have more capacity i think to give and i think we're in a time where we need to practice that as much as possible and be examples for that you know so there's a there's there's this kind of like I, I feel we're we're in a in a historical wave of you know of what the Regenesans really is is bringing now you know and mm. and the art and the music and the storytellers you know we're all riffing off of all those that came before us mm -hmm. with new technologies and yeah new ways of connecting. I like that. I like the lineage because when I think of when I think of the rhymes of the past, for me, they're it it's the vi they're visual. You know, the stories of our elders and of the lineage that we came from as visual creators. I collect and I collect as I see new visuals and evolve those subconsciously. I think over time, and what comes out is um, it is from those elders. It's from that all of those rhymes of the past of what has been made before us. Mm. That, that, that's, this is really beautiful. I think, I think the idea of rhymes from the past is a good angle. But also, Amanda, you mentioned something which, which is, 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 lighting, is lighting a fire in my imagination. The idea of comparing the act of being properly alive with, um, with, with practicing creativity, with being creative. You know, I, I like mm -hmm. to sometimes cite a, a, or, or reference certain um, biblical or, or one biblical um, um, 
citation in, 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 in particular where, you know, they say that we were made in, in the likeness of the creator. And so the likeness of the creator doesn't mean that we're going to have certain physical characteristics or mental characteristics which make us like the creator, but we are creators as well. And so I like this idea that, you know, as artists, as creative human beings, that the quality of life, our lives, not just artists, is somehow defined by our ability to be creative in a, in a positive manner. I definitely feel something nourishing that happens when I, when I, when I do something, not because I just have to do it, but I do it because I feel really um, inspired to do it. Mm. And there's mm. a different kind of like there's there's a different kind of fuel there that comes through, right? It's like every you tap into some other access point. Mm -hmm. I, I I wish it always felt nourishing. Sometimes it doesn't feel nourishing. Sometimes it feels like a lightning strike. <laughs> and uh, I, I was thinking about that uh, where where we all met in Miami at Art Basel because it felt like it felt like we were in some kind of like giant giant vineyard of interconnected vines that was also like a lightning field. With, with lightning rods sticking up everywhere, um, it was that kind of energy. Like that was a, it was a, it was an incredible mix of of nourishing, but also just like fire too. Totally, I, I, I it that fire though. I need to get close to the fire sometimes to really mm. feel alive, and I felt that too in Miami. And I think it was a combination too of of having not been together in that way for so long and also so many people meeting for the first time. I've never had that experience of feeling like I knew some of these like humans, but I'd never actually been in the same place as them. And so to be like, wow, you know, you're this tall, you're this, <laughs> the, you know, the size of people, right? Cause on Zoom or on, <laughs> you can't really tell. And, and that electricity of sharing space together it's like there's something about the 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 preconceptions that one can have or all the the thoughts that one can have about somebody but when you're in the presence with them all of that kind of dissolves and you're with this magical mysterious creature you know and mm -hmm. you're sharing space and that's beautiful and there's so much more that can be exchanged and that's why like that call went out you know what like 2 weeks before it was like a really short, short call um, to action, right? To <laughs> come show mm -hmm. up. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, no, all these things were telling me, no, I, you know, I got so many other things to do. <laughs> but I had other people that had no idea what I was maybe going to be getting myself into. And they were just like, Amanda, you need to go. <laughs> and. Amanda, do you do you think that you you could give a little bit of context for our listeners as to what exactly happened at Art Basel about two weeks ago? What was that all about? Because I, I know exactly what Amanda and Aaron are talking about, but I think our listeners might be a little bit confused and not really know what this whole thing about the Renaissance and how that has to do with Art, Art Basel, and everything. I know that nobody can explain it better than you. You want to give us a little bit of context? You calling on Amanda Joy or Amanda Sage? I'm calling on the Joy. <laughs> I'm the Joy. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so I forget who originally said it, but I really love this metaphor that the Renaissance was a Trojan horse of sorts within Art Basel. Um, so it was a, a three-day event with a speaker symposium, an artist salon, live paintings, an immersive theatrical farm-to-table dinner, uh, and uh, a celebration, really uh, highlighting ecological wisdom and, and this idea of returning to ecological wisdom. So um, not just, oh, you know, the next step in our evolution is to come back, is to be with nature, but really recognizing that so many indigenous and, and ancient wisdom traditions have done that for millennia. And it was a showcase for the artists in the Design Science Studio, which is one of the premier programs of Buckminster Fuller Institute. It's an incubator program for artists. Amanda Sage has been one of our artists for our first cohort. And it provides curriculum, teaching artists more about everything from biomimicry to social justice to futurism. And, uh, and then uniting them in a common community in order to amplify their work and, and boost them and accelerate them as artists in this critical time. So it was a showcase for all of those artists. And as Amanda Sage shared, it was the first time we got together uh, in the 18 months of the program. And it was just such a delight to be able to connect and see one another's work from a different you know, in-person point of view. And it was co-hosted by a really incredible group called Future of Cities, uh, which is dedicated to impacting the lives of a billion people in cities in the next decade uh, and really focusing on those who have been underserved in the past. And so we brought together leaders, uh, Deepak Chopra and Adrian Grenier and uh, all sorts of people from all over the world who have visions uh, and are amplifying again this vision of a future that works for all and it's just the beginning we'll do another renaissance definitely next year in art basel there's conversations of having them throughout the year at various events but it's a it's an opening within these larger events to bring people back to this ecological literacy um, in order to you know come into tune with nature, but also how does that play into social justice issues and, um, you know, looking at the full regenerative scope of, of the world. So yeah, that's what we were up to. You know, my interpretation of it, my interpretation of it is that Amanda and Roxy have been curating amazing human beings artivists that have a little bit of substance a little bit of transformational social pivoting kind of substance and they brought them all to Basel and uh, one person was more amazing than the next and I think up up where where you you start wondering how is it that these lovely human beings that not only are aesthetically and artistically proficient also have such a deep sense of devotion to what they're doing and I get that from both Aaron and from and from uh, Amanda Amanda Sage as well. But uh, let, let's try to move back into this conversation. Let's try and and and, and pick pick at some. Let's see if we can find some 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 nuggets or some uh, let's some nuggets of wisdom, some gems of 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 perspective from each of you. Let me ask a little bit. Um, let me ask Aaron. 
a little bit about your approach and this relationship that you have with the artist and the activist, because I know that it's one that's fraught. It's one that has <laughs> a little bit of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything worth doing has got some tension because it's generally is exposes like wounds and, you know, we're working in spaces where people are, where there's a lot of pain. Um, I didn't, I didn't plan to do this kind of work. I've kind of never had a plan. It's why I talk about it like as lightning strikes. It's, I immerse myself in places and I see a story that, that is not moving in the world or that needs to be told. And I start making it with the tools that I have at my fingertips and that keeps changing shape. Um, I mean to make a nonprofit amplifier became a nonprofit eventually, but, uh, where do you want, how do, where do we go with this? This is, can go a lot of ways. Poke me a little bit. I need to be poked sometimes. Let me poke you. Let me, let's take that question. Yeah. Why, why do you, why do you refuse to be labeled as an activist? when you're clearly a person who's <laughs> all about bringing positive change through art to the world. Yeah. I, I think it's because over the last like five years, the, the tumultuous years, the word activism has been associated with like, to me, uh, echo chambers and, uh, and a kind of polarity that does not represent like the interdependent, like vision of the world that I think we're moving towards. I want to, I, I, I see a lot of what happened in the activist, in quotes, space, really helping to shred the social fabric of America. Um, you know, 1% speaking to about 10%. And I'm, I'm from a really small town in Wyoming. Uh, and I want to make stories and imagery, you know, and what we call like compasses in the work that we make that that those people can hold or understand and have a conversation with as well. And I find that within communities that label themselves as activists, that uh, they are not speaking to those communities. Uh, and I think we're in a different time and we can't do that anymore. I have to, I, you know, I, I agree with that. Um... I agree with the fact that there is polarization involved. We had a beautiful guest, uh, Benjamin Von Wong, on the show a couple of weeks back, and and he described an activist basically as a person who is pretty much as a person who's active and who understands that change is not a destination, it's just a position you're taking. But informed by what mm -hmm. you're saying is that if you take a position basically to be reactionary in nature, then you can't really, you can't really uh, engage as full-heartedly and as holistically as as would probably want it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there are times, like, there, there were times where, like, the art had to be used as a shield or a weapon because it was, like, it was that kind of moment. Like, we were in the trenches. There were, like, real... There was a real fight happening. But I think now we're in a different kind of moment. Uh... So maybe I shouldn't be afraid of the word activist, but, uh, yeah. Amanda, what do you, I, I know you have an opinion <laughs> on this. Well, it's really, I, uh, it's such an interesting, um, 
place to jump from. And I feel that the, <laughs> <laughs> the I, where I focus, where I enjoy really putting my focus and feel useful, feel like I'm contributing to a part of the solution is, is considering what would it look like? You know, what, what, what is it like if we are living in the world we are, know we're capable of creating? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the tool set that I have, you know, is, uh, I learned how to paint and I learned how to paint the natural world and I learned r- really classical techniques and to fall in love with painting what I saw. And so when I just went a little bit further along and was like, okay, well, well, what do I really want to see beyond, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world that I see around me? Because sometimes, man, it just is really, it's pretty messed up. You know, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of dysfunction. And so I found that it's kind of like an interesting magic trick uh, to, to use painting in that way. And then also to uh, teach others skills so that they could express what they were interested in seeing. So in many ways, it's kind of like building a library or building a, a storyboard, you know, of, of possibilities for other people to see and maybe in a way fall into, um, to adopt, to realize, you know, take a piece of that and riff off of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But where do we where do we pull it from? Where does it come from? You know, we got to get into a place of of not being too concerned or overly concerned of what of everything that's going wrong. You know, we have to make ourselves available to what what it, what it would look like. You know, what's the solar punk vision? <laughs> you know, rather than the dystopian one. Yes, and, we are. We're perfectly in alignment on that. I love what you said, like how, how do we make art that, that is what we want to see in the world? Um, and that's, I think at, in Miami, what I talked about when I was on stage there, we talked about making those compasses and mm-hmm. you make those compasses also for the layers of vision that we are kind of, we're, we're just blind to that are already there. And I think that it's what we try to do at Amplifier is to make those compasses that point to the world that we want to live in, the world that we want to see. It's why we build campaigns that are called things like We the Future, because it's it's literally visioning the future that we want to live in and providing a roadmap to getting there uh, by putting the people and the movements forward to show exactly what it looks like to move in that direction and to embody that new world. What do you see, um, what's the, like, the big vision for Amplifier beyond what you're already doing, which is greatly effective? I think sometimes it's just to continue to saturate the space around us so we can't not see the paths, like, so we can't not see these compasses. Sometimes I forget the effect of what's happening until I see like a post where somebody is photographing something we put up like five years ago in a classroom and talking about its daily impact on like a classroom on of students, you know, that's sitting for its fifth year in that classroom. Um, yeah. 
so I, I think that when I don't know exactly where we're supposed to go, I know that we're supposed to just keep doing yeah. the work and putting it out there and making you'll sure that it just keeps transmitting. Right. And you'll never know all the ripples and that doesn't really matter. I'm curious how of how many works, do you have a, a read on how many pieces have been disseminated through Amplifier this past year, 2021? Uh, 2021, I mean, definitely in the millions of physical works. And I think that that physicality matters. Uh, a lot of people in our space, they, I hear people talking about like uh, impressions and digital impressions and all this stuff. And I kind of don't believe those numbers. Like people talk about the billions and tens of billions of impressions, but there is something very different about analog work and how it lives in the world and how it transmits that it can't be swiped away. And I think about it, especially in like, like the classroom setting is the one example I come back to over and over again. If like there's a dozen works, a dozen compasses on the wall of a classroom and they are there for five years or more and all those classes come through and those students see that every single day they are subconsciously transmitting like that vision every day, all day. It's not a thing in the noise of your phone that gets swiped away. Mm -hmm. So those millions, even though it's only millions and not billions, those millions of physical pieces never stop transmitting. Uh, and so for all the digital hype, we will never stop making the physical objects. Yes. I'm so happy to hear that because I feel I've been making stickers, for an example, of my paintings for many years. And oh, I yeah. love... I love to give these stickers, which they're high quality stickers. They're not small and they're, you know, the best I can find. And I, and I like to give them to people. I don't necessarily give them so much if I, um, I, I, I like there to be some kind of an exchange where it seems like mm -hmm. this person would, would actually appreciate it. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, but like as a, you know, in an Uber, driver, you know, or at a restaurant with somebody that I feel like I connected with. I like mm -hmm. to give, I like to give, um, currency in multiple ways, you know, and not just in that way, but I know that these little stickers, you know, I don't have a bunch of branding on them or, uh, it's, it's really about the image and that image, yeah. you can put it on anything and it's with you. It's a portal. It's that the frequency and the prayer and the everything about what that work is, mm -hmm. is, is with that person and with, it can be anywhere and not just on the digital yeah. screen. Because I love the, I love having met somebody that is like, oh, I have had your painting on as my phone background, you know, for six years, you know, show me this. And that's mm -hmm. like, that's an impactful thing, right? Yeah, so they look at it so much, but then like a physical object on a physical thing, you know, and to give a child yeah. this and be like, put this on something that's really special to you. Oh yeah, you know. Do you do you spend time stories. putting them around out in the world on things? Yes, I do, but I still still probably not enough like in the last mm -hmm. year or so. But I would love to. Like I'm so inspired by what you guys do, and I would love to. I really want to adopt more of the practices that are at the forefront of your purpose, you know, with Amplifier and bring that into our community of the vision train and this network yeah. and this collective that is really about creating work 
that is uh, is going to help fuel the regenesance. You know, that's mm. the call to action in many ways when the vision train started. And um, so let's like, you know, to really fundraise, to make the stickers, to give away. You mm-hmm. know, that's what you guys are doing, you know? Yeah. I, I wish I had found stickers even earlier. I started teaching my children stickering quite early. We, I try to carry stickers with me everywhere to put inside of newspaper stands and on the backs of parking signs. And there's an art to placing the sticker. Uh, but I remember thinking about, there was one case where I realized the power of these stickers. We had made a project called Protect the Sacred that was really an exercise in just trying to reinsert the word sacred into our vocabulary again, because by seeing that sticker, by seeing the language protect the sacred, one had to ask and answer multiple questions. What is sacred and what is worth protecting? By even seeing it, the work was happening. And I saw like really powerful people I knew having these stickers on the backs of their laptops. And I knew that when they went into big meeting rooms, that all the people that worked for them would see the back of their computer and have to answer all of those questions over and over again through the meetings that they sat in with that leadership. Um, And that was the power of a great sticker. It's amazing. We are at the bottom of the hour and we are talking about revolutionary, grassroots revolutionary techniques and tools to bring art to the forefront of change. I would like to remind our listeners, which are listening to us live here on KPCR FM 101.9, that they can join us. They can join us. They can enter our clubhouse room, Reinco, Regenesance, and Co Amplify. At the end of the hour, we will have both Aaron Huey, Amanda Joy Ravenhill, and our special guest, Amanda Sage, here available for questions and to develop conversations. But before we move on, I would like to just bring a little bit of context because I've been listening and I know Aaron about what you do. I know Amanda Sage what you do. And I feel I need to do a little bit of justice to the space and everybody who's lending an ear at the moment as to what it is that makes you people so amazing, why you are my heroes. And I think that if I had to say, describe that about Amanda Sage very simply, I would say that your brush strokes have brought people together in a unified vision. And obviously it's a vision that transcends you. You work uh, with the greys and and clearly that is seen throughout and not only your work, but I think it also permeates into their work and the work of the community around you. So it's very much community driven, uh, but it also drives community the way that you envision realities and the way that they are becoming realities, both in the stickers and also in the clothes that's being worn and in the aesthetics that define and inform the values and how those values define and inform the actions, behaviors, and the culture of the people you hang out with. It really is amazing to see you in the vision train as a tribe. And Aaron, well, Aaron, I think, is completely amazing because he has taken the language, the format of traditional propaganda, and he's he's flipped it upside down and still using the clean lines, the clean colors. He's created a whole format for people to bring their art and mix it with a message. 
and take that message and rehash it, create derivative works, put them up in visible places, and really allow both the cause and the aesthetics to adopt a mind of their own. And so for me, at least, I think the beauty of having you two people in this space is that I think that if we learned of Amanda's ability to create coherent, cohesive aesthetics that bring people and unite people, and we learned a little bit about, Aaron, your ability to take it and position it in the places that are most seen, I think the Regenesance could be served in a matter of moments. Choo-choo! Choo-choo, yeah. We're serving up a revolution. Yes, we are. Gonna start with the art. My monologue's over, by the way. I'm just holding the beat, just hoping that somebody's gonna come in and say something smarter than I said just now. <laughs> something oh, that, <laughs> um, something that ahead, comes Amanda. to mind for me is the work of Carol Sanford, who's an incredible regenerative leader and teaches leadership and management from this living systems point of view. Her grandparents uh, were of Mohawk heritage and she learned about living systems from them. And something she talks about a lot is the the difference between intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And it's something that has been touched on throughout our time together here of just the power of, of working from one's essence and working from one's, uh, you know, innate capacity and potential. And I think, you know, both Amanda Sage and, and Aaron do this so well. And, and art does that. You know, sometimes it is the lightning rod, as Aaron said earlier, but it's that intrinsic motivation is a completely different feel than, you know, an external reward or, you know, doing something to be pat on the back by someone else. And um, and you see it happening in all these different experiments and economy and experiments and community around us, like Burning Man. You know, it's an economy based on on gifting and generosity and and people doing things because they want to rather than because they're going to get rewarded by some outer system. And I think in this time of such massive systems change, uh, you know, being necessary in order for us to have a future that's stable, um, I think that that shift towards intrinsic motivation, how can we encourage that in others, encourage that in the various teams we work in and our relationships. Uh, and I think art and expression and, and in, you know, rewarding that in one another um, can really be a total game changer, a trim tab, as Bucky would say, a point in the system where the least amount of pressure causes the entire system to change. So curious how that resonates with you all, the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation of this all. That just felt so good to hear because I could see it, you know, and I can see us doing this and playing it out and having others see us playing it out and being like, wow, that looks like it's fun. That looks like it's, you know, so much more nourishing and so much more, um, there's so much more to 
be found and to be discovered and you know because it's not about like bottom line you know there's it's, it's something something so much richer mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what we're doing is like this this um this invitation to to see to see in a different way and we have to retrain mm-hmm. ourselves you know and so we need to instead of just talking about it you know we need to do it and that doing it it takes you know sometimes we have really big visions but you have to start somewhere you know it's like well, I don't know how to bring all of this that I have in me onto a canvas or onto a piece of paper or into a book but if you start somewhere and you you know that's the hardest bit you know and then something starts going something starts flowing and then others like oh wow that that looks like fun too can i join in mm-hmm. and then we start doing it together you know and mm. you're creating together and then you just like ignite each other's spirits in a way that that we couldn't do alone mhm power of collaboration right and it's so so critical that we that we use fun and play so that we can be in our full brain you know because climate and so many of these issues that are part of this meta crisis we're in are are hyper objects and they're freaky and we can't quite put our hands around them and it shuts us down and we go just into our amygdala you know our our base brain and we're in fight or flight or freeze or appease and you can't really be creative from there you know and you can't really think long term from there and so evoking that play and that curiosity and that um wonder in one another is actually really healing work and enables us to be our full brilliant selves you know and shine mm-hmm. as bright as as this moment is calling for I'd like to ask Aaron um there is definitely a very clear method to your madness it is, it is absolutely brilliant it is but it has a lot to do with jamming with communication hijacking and jamming you know in the traditional communication sense where somebody's sending a message and you're taking it over i mean a lot of the aesthetics that you're using are are actually um i think i think i don't know if if they're if they're you you tell me if i'm wrong but they seem to be a little bit kind of like soviet era or at least they have that kind of propagandist communist kind of tingy kind of like color you know which is a very very mm-hmm. uh recognizable uh, visual language but what i'm feeling is 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 if we said previously that um the activist kind of hinders his own ability to become an integral part of the system he wants to change because he's reactionary mm-hmm. by nature you're still also playing off a lot of the you know previous heritage of uh, a visual language and and kind of um of of social conventions even political conventions so tell me a little bit about your method and how that works because you're doing a brilliant job and i think a lot of it has to ha- do with a little bit of this kind of like trickstery kind of a playful kind of a misuse of of traditional paradigm um mm-hmm. um um what's the word i'm looking for paradigm fu- fundamental yeah foundations or fundamentals mhm well boy there was no plan in the beginning it was 
It was a collaboration with artists like Ernesto Urena and Jessica Sabogal and Shepard Ferry, of course, that, that their work comes from that kind of brutal, like, informed by the communist uh, propaganda of North Korea and uh, China and the Soviet Union. But really, over time, we kind of had to get out of the way of that, of everything being dominated by that style. And over time, the aesthetic has grown to where now, you know, we went from three artists to 10,000 artists. Uh, because there, there are some stories that can't be told in that hard, brutal language uh, of the propaganda tradition. But the reason we used that initially, it was really, uh, it was effective for artists like Shepard Ferry to use that, it, it stopped people in the streets. And that was the whole idea that it it needed to be the hook that stood out amongst all of the visual noise in an environment and made you stop and ask questions. And then every one of those compasses, every one of those pieces of art had to have a really clear path from that brutal kind of superficial hook into a deeper narrative. And even now we continue that, like while we'll still use that style, that Shepard Ferry famous style, underneath of that two or three words and that memified kind of flat image, we're now like making sure that there are layers and layers through things like augmented reality storytelling. When you look at it, the figure in the poster or the sticker or the 100 foot tall mural now turns to you and speaks and you hear the voice of that leader that brings all those other layers out. So we're still playing with that that old style, but bringing in, trying to bring in more and more layers so that it's not just another meme. Hmm. You know, this brings us to a very interesting subject, which I was really hoping to touch on. And it has to do with the idea of intellectual property and creativity mm. that is neither yours or neither mine, that it is co-owned. There's, um, there's a musicologist which really informed my opinions on music, uh, Alan Lomax. He, he used to travel the United States with his father and over a career that spanned it, I think 40 or 50 years between the two of them, they gathered around 80,000, something ridiculous, or maybe more recordings of just kind of like music that was in the vernacular, music that belonged to the people before it belonged to the record labels. And, and I have a, a question to the both of you concerning really borrowing, using, and, and, and even in the case if we take, for example, communist uh, South Korean or Soviet aesthetics, you, nobody's asking for permission for that, but that's already in the public domain in a sense. And I mean, not, 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 not in the sense that it's, it's intellectual property-wise, it's in the public domain, but it's, it's in our minds. We know where it comes from. But then again, we also have all these interesting situations where we don't really know where the aesthetics are coming from. And so they, they can get misinterpreted and jammed. It becomes like this visual aesthetic orgy of, of like things coming from the past and really not wanting to obey the clean cut uh, intellectual property system that we have today. And how does that fit into this breed of activism, artistic activism that we are, we are promoting at the moment? Mm. Oof. 
Well, this idea of images being co-owned and remixed is a tricky one. I think it is a ripe, like a ripe field to play in for the future of potentially designing images that are made to be remixed. Up to this point, the only part that has been co-owned is distribution. So everything we've ever made is a high resolution download that you can get right now and move in any form that you want. You just can't sell it. Every single thing we've ever made is at amplifier.org, big enough to print the size of a wall. So there is that open source nature in that, but we have not yet opened up that lane to saying, create derivative works from this officially. We've saw things like that happen with like, We the People with that campaign, with those iconic images of people remixing. But uh, I think that's an interesting opportunity actually to open it up, to design it to be all the way open. Yeah, I do too. Like there, there is, there's a project. I was just trying to find it. Um, I think it was called Red Dot. Um, that was um, started probably a good decade ago or more. And it was an invitation for artists to upload work onto a site. And it was like all, all mediums too, um, with the invitation to continue like riffing off of, you know, like this is something I'm sharing into this field. Keep like, use it, steal it, you know, add to it. And I think like if there were, there is such like this, the, the whole copyright world, you know, of like, you know, don't steal my thing. There's something, there's something that doesn't really fit into the, the, you know, the, the image of I, that I see, you know, ongoing. It's like, let's, instead of like the stealing mentality, let's, let's play together, you know, and let's like respect each other and, and create parameters. But like, there's so much to, to, to be shared. There's more than enough to go around. And my experience personally with collaboration has been that I've created some of the most, I think, most incredible works and had the most fun when mm -hmm. working together with others, you know, mm -hmm. and being like, well, what can we create through both of us coming together mm -hmm. that neither of us would ever create by ourselves, you know? Yes, 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 yes. And I don't actually want to make style. anything alone anymore. I only want to do right. collaborations. I. <laughs> I love that. love that. You know, and if you can also share each other's language, you have a respect for each other's language, you know, like the way that your, your, your color palette, you know, and you have that curiosity for each other and the, um, and, and then you go into a dance, you know, how wonderful mm -hmm. is, is, is it to, to tango with somebody? And I can't say I'm a proficient tango dancer, but I have had some profound tango moments. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so much more fun. And I think we've been trained, though, we've been trained to um, to be, you know, to have to be successful by ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. and that we have to our name is so important. Our face is so important. Like, this is mine and me and our language is embedded with it. You know, I mean, we're using it constantly possessing things and projecting things and so I mean it's like a it, I think it helps break down I think the 
the system in a little in a little bit of a way, you know, to to open up that field for play. And I think mm-hmm. myself, like I haven't I haven't done much play in that way of really putting something out there totally free to with the invitation um, to add on. Uh, besides the vision train, you know, the vision train project is something that I really don't see um, a full vision of. I can sense it. I can smell it. I can. I can feel it, and I'm interested in what everybody else is, what their their train car looked like. You know? mm-hmm. And that curiosity will never end, because you know everybody's line is is different. Everybody's expression is different. Everybody's way of of bringing it out. And if we can, you know, do a little dance and 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 you know celebrate each other's like expression you know that's gonna that encouragement you see this in in children you encourage them and tell them like yes that's freaking awesome keep going you know what what that does rather than you know criticizing mm-hmm. and of course there's a place for criticizing but there's there's a way to do it too that is encouraging to grow encourage encouragement for growth you know I love this conversation. I think it is so, so interesting. The, 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 the objective of Re and Co is not only to, to really present people with uh, regenerative ideas, which I find to be absolutely inspiring, but also talk about co-creation and the fact that you know the, the reality we want to shape is one where everybody has a stake and a responsibility. And I, th- I think that now with all these new creative mediums where we're starting, we're starting to see that technology affords us so many possibilities of, of remaking, rehashing, just the idea of TikTok where fragments of songs are what are used so that people can be inspired to, you know, to dance or create uh, mini mise-en-scenes of, of, of theater. I think we're really looking at a, a revolution where we will have to really understand that it's not so much about the personal benefits that we will reap from our own artwork, but how we actually drive community with it. And Aaron, that was something that, that I came up, it was very inspired by you. It was like, it's both community driven, but it drives community as well. And I'm, and I'm wondering how you feel about NFTs and all of this and how, and how whether, whether technology is something that is actually helping us to to bring about kind of this kind of new artistic paradigm which is both activist mm. and inclusive um activist like, <laughs> i said activist by mm. by doing That's right. uh, activist. i said it I said it very carefully but say say <laughs> uh, positive propagandist and inclusive by nature what do you make of the mm-hmm. technologies guys what do you think I'm kind of teetering on the edge. I've been watching for a long time. I, I have seen incredible empowerment in in really specific case studies of individual artists where I've watched artists that I really respect from like small villages in Indo- Indonesia that never had a way to even really sell their work before. It was like in quotes, just digital. And I'm seeing these people now posting and pictures of their face, which I had never seen saying, I want to introduce myself because I'm so happy with what has happened in my life because of my ability to sell work as NFTs that I'm actually able now to take care of my family and I have collectors. And so I'm seeing very, very positive case studies for this and the empowerment 
of artists going from being throwaway workers with one-off, you know, payments to being artist owners uh, that are constantly being rewarded for their creation. Um, I'm seeing, you know, I think there's a lot to be worked out uh, in the environmental impact and of the NFT space, but I think that that will be solved and I see incredible things for artists in this space. Yes, I also, one of the things that inspires me about the NFT space, and I can't say I've been, I've been watching too, I've been listening a lot and um, seeing, waiting for the right time to, um, to jump in with the uh, right projects, right? And um, the, what inspires me though about this movement that's happening, especially here on Clubhouse, is the community aspect and this, um, there's something really special that I think has happened because of this medium too, of, of technology and because of the pandemic, it's all kind of related in a way where there is a, a, re, um, a reallocation. There's, a, there's like a, a shift in the tectonic plates, right? Of, uh, of currency and, and art as being, as, as one of those tools Mm-hmm. to kind of help shift that and, and in a way where it is empowering many that did not have that access before. Mm-hmm. And it's rewarding those that are also stepping up and um, unafraid to unmute themselves and speak into the wind, you know, and speak their heart. And that's, mm-hmm. I've, I've been listening into some of these conversations on Clubhouse and that is what has impressed me. And I really hope mm-hmm. that 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 continues to bloom. That part, you know, that kind of like. And, and on the other hand, I also see this gold rush, this frenzy, you know, and this uh, gambling, basically, um, card game thing, <laughs> which is perplexes me because I don't really like feel attracted to that in any way. But if we can raise funds, and Aaron, I imagine your projects need endless funds. Um, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> and it's the same, you know, for the for the projects that I have as well. And I think that if we can really use art, you know, um, and I don't want to even say the word use, I, I, but that's not a bad word. It's a <laughs> it's a useful word. I. If we can really, really, um, yeah, activate it through the through through the mission of mm-hmm. what's behind it, and and develop community through it, and this is what NFTs yes. is about, yeah. you know, and, and that's and, what turns me on. Mm-hmm. And it's about that utility. I think beneath the gambling, like what a lot of people perceive as like the investment gambling of NFT, is like what I appreciate is that. And what I really love is that it is it is now calling art currency. Right. These That's so these cool. pieces that are exchanged are a currency that have an economy around them, and they are tickets now to be involved in an artist's world. Um, and people are being encouraged to help artists build their own economies. So I think that there will be massive like spikes and crashes. 
but beneath that distraction of the gambling and of all the people that are doing this to make money, like, you know, all of the VCs and the people that are essentially stockbrokers, there are artists using now and calling art currency. And there is a power in that that I think will stick no matter what happens with the, with the spikes and crashes ahead, because they will come. Um, that utility of being part of an artist's community, this is just a new way to tokenize that and give it a new language um, and build around. We are four minutes away from the end of our show. It's been lovely to have you here. If you're listening to us on Instagram or on the radio, be sure to join us in the Rian Co Clubhouse room. We will at least continue the conversation for a bit. And I'd like to reflect a bit on this itty little bit, you know, on this, this piece of information. I'm just wondering, the Regenaissance or the Renaissance, let's go back to the Renaissance, was very much patron-sponsored. And one of the things that I really feel that we need to deal with is with this, um, this par- not the paradigm, it's the staple of the, of the starving artist, of the person who cannot, you know, really create wealth from the bottom up. You know, even, even the wealthy artists, like, in, in, in a, in a, to a great extent, if we're talking about what we saw in Art Basel, where, again, people who are playing into this kind of speculative game. I mean, I, I would like to see a sustainable economy of artists which are actually in charge of the wealth they're creating, especially because I believe that in a world where most of the wealth is, is at least immaterial, is intellectual property, is brands, is, like, is, is, is knowledge and things like that, I'm wondering why it is that the, that the artists have done so poorly and whether this kind of whole idea of, you know, that we, having to, we, that we have to be as artists, uh, have patrons and we have to have, you know, somebody to sponsor us rather than being, you know, really grassroots entrepreneurs which create and manage your own wealth. But I think that's what you were getting at, right, Aaron? Yeah, I think that there's an opportunity in the new Web3 world to not have to have as many clients and patrons and to have more community power that does literally build economies like around this work. Yeah, I I hope that's coming. I believe I'm going to be building on it. Definitely. I also think we need to redefine wealth and what it is to be wealthy because when I was in Miami and, uh, you know, we're going to mansion parties and um, yacht parties and all of this. Nothing against all that, but I do think that the aim is in, in, I don't think the aim should be really that, that lifestyle. <laughs> mm. I think like the aim of true wealth is health, right? Is a bountiful, beautiful garden, you know, nourishing earth and water. Um, and sufficient housing, right? And places to work and gather. What does that look like? I mean, that's the kind of wealth that I am interested in. Mm-hmm. And sure. there's a reframing, you know? And, um, and it's not necessarily saying we're gonna call, call the others out and say this is, this is wrong, but let's, let's just like play with that. Let's play with what it is. Let's play with what it is. To experience true health. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it has been absolutely lovely having you on the show today. And again, I would like to give my love to Amanda Sage and Aaron Huey. And we are off 